Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast on equitable patient reimbursement. I'm Rosamond Round, Vice President of Patient Engagement at Paracel, and I'm delighted to be joined by Elizabeth Barksdale, Senior Director of Regulatory Affairs and Scientific Policy at Longevity Foundation, and Luke Gelinas, Senior IRB Chair Director at Advara. So health equity is a very important topic and the ability to effectively recruit and retain patients has a major impact on clinical trial timelines. And for many patients, the financial burden from loss of income for missed work, the cost of transportation or travel for study-related appointments, childcare costs and more can impact their ability to join or remain in a trial. So at the moment, reimbursement and stipend programmes aren't widely or consistently implemented. And even when it's included, the amount often doesn't adequately cover all of the costs that are incurred. It could be due to operational complexity or perhaps the lack of awareness of the impact on health equity or some of the unknowns around the tax and benefits impacts, which we'll talk about later in the show. Sometimes patients are only reimbursed if they ask and often they don't know what they should be asking for. So today, Luke Libby and I will talk about changing the industry paradigm by creating new industry standards that are fair, ethical and meaningful to patients, simple for sites to implement and with the potential to expand into other countries outside of the US. So. To set the stage, Libby, can you talk about some of the expenses that patients are facing and what you hear them saying about them? Sure. Thanks, Roz. Let me just start by saying how grateful I am that you invited me here today to talk with you and Luke about this really important problem. So there are many expenses stemming from participating in clinical trials, and some of those are covered by insurance. Some of them are covered by the trial sponsor, but some patients do have to shoulder out of pocket. So these costs could be medical in nature, like an insurance copay or a deductible or a procedure or a visit that's above and beyond what's covered by insurance. Or these costs could be non-medical. So that would be something like travel to and from the trial site, lodging and meals while you're there, perhaps you know additional costs if you need someone to accompany you to the clinical trial site. There's also, we mentioned child care in the introduction, but maybe there's elder care, you know, maybe you're watching your parents or, or maybe you have a pet that you can't bring with you. So these types of costs. Additionally, lost wages, if you have to take time off of work and you're an hourly employee, none of these types of things would be reimbursed by insurance. And then to your question about what patients are saying, Longevity has conducted a few surveys that touch on costs of clinical trial participation. In one, we learned that about 80% of patients who had not already participated in a trial would consider doing so, but that they would need reimbursements for travel-related expenses in order to actually sign up. And then in a separate survey, we asked patients who had been or were currently on a clinical trial whether the trial sponsor had covered any of their costs for them, and only two out of eight respondents said that they had. One patient talking about the impact of not having this accommodation said, it's very stressful. I have to take time off from work. I have good insurance, but I still pay a lot of money every year. I do it because the trial is keeping me alive. And then conversely, from a patient who had had their costs paid for by the sponsor, they said, I didn't have to lift a finger or pay a dime. It was so easy. And so this type of divergent feedback is what led Longevity to investigate this issue more fully to see what could be done to ensure that all patients' experience is more similar to that of the second one that I just mentioned. Wouldn't it be amazing if that's what we could see for all patients? Brilliant. Thanks, Libby. 
So Luke, I'm going to turn over to you now. So we have talked about some different terms and we want to make sure that our audience fully understands them. So we've talked about reimbursement, stipend, the term compensation comes up. And they're all tossed around when we're talking about the subject, but they do have important differences and also implications. So can you talk about some of the differences between those terms, please? Yeah, thanks, Roz. Like Libby, I just want to say that I'm really excited to be having this conversation. So I think the important distinction here is between reimbursement on the one hand and what's often called stipends, sometimes called compensation on the other hand. So the difference is that Reimbursement is essentially payment for out-of-pocket expenses incurred as a result of participation. Things like transportation to and from study site, perhaps meals, parking, sometimes even daycare or elder care. That's reimbursement. Compensation or stipends by interest are sort of set payments for things like time and burdens and perhaps sometimes risks as well. The differences between them, well, there are a couple of differences. One is that reimbursement will typically require participants to retain their receipts and to provide them to the site or the study sponsor at the end of the study or throughout the study. Compensation, on the other hand, would just be payments made for, again, time or burdens or perhaps even as an incentive. Another important difference is that reimbursement does not have any tax implications. So as long as a participant has the receipts and provides them, reimbursement would not count as taxable income. That's not necessarily the case for stipends or compensation. That can have tax implications and it can count as taxable income after a certain point. Perfect. Thank you. I'm sure all of our listeners appreciate hearing those differences. So when we think about what patients are asking for and the different experiences patients are having, and we think about the terminology we've just heard, Libby, let's start with you first. What would you like to see offered as standard to patients to relieve that financial burden of clinical trial participation? Thanks, Roz. That's a really good question. I think at a bare minimum, trial sponsors should reimburse all travel-related costs for the trial participant and a caregiver, so someone to accompany them to all these visits. So this would be, you know, like we talked about before, transportation to and from the trial, whether that's driving or flying or a train, lodging and meals while they're there, parking fees at the hospital, you know, all that kind of stuff that should be reimbursed, no questions asked. And in fact, you know, we've heard from government agencies in the United States. So the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Human Research Protections, as well as the Secretary's Advisory Committee on Human Research Protections, they don't consider these types of reimbursements to be inducement or coercion. So there's nothing that companies would need to be fearful of if they, if they cover these, that they would get their hands slapped or something. But then there's also kind of those next tier of of softer costs, something that may not be reimbursable with a receipt, something like childcare or elder care or lost wages. So government agencies haven't explicitly said that they would be open to reimbursement here, but they also haven't prohibited it. So I think, you know, these are things that, that should be covered. And then also, you know, speaking just for myself, not as a longevity representative, I do think that there should be an additional stipend to compensate for time and effort and inconvenience, as well as to recognize the contribution these patients are making to the body of knowledge around potential or existing therapies. So thinking about that, Libby, I'm interested to hear from you, Luke, about what kind of reimbursement and stipend programs that the IRB is seeing and what kind of things are getting approved. Yeah, thanks, Raz. So I'd say there's a lot of variation still. 
we do quite often see reimbursement. I would almost say it's sort of the norm now, although we don't see it in every study, which I agree with Libby is is someone unfortunate. I think reimbursement should be a no-brainer, but we do frequently see it. I would say we see compensation or stipends for time and energy and study visits a little bit less frequently. We see lots of that in phase one studies with healthy volunteers, where I think those kind of stipend payments really are the main motivation for people to join those studies. These are healthy individuals. There's no real potential health benefit from joining a study like that. We see them all the time in those where we don't see them as often as in more sort of therapeutic clinical trials, trials that are enrolling sick patient populations. We often again see reimbursement for those studies, but I say less frequently to see compensation or or stipends there. I also want to say, I think there's been... Arguably, a start of a sea change amongst IRBs and regulatory bodies. My own sort of anecdotal perspective or impression is that IRBs have gotten a bit more permissive about payment offers in the last decade or so. There's been sort of guidance from FDA and from SIOMs over in Europe that have really emphasized, as Libby said earlier, that reimbursement should not be considered anything problematic, doesn't raise concerns about coercion or undue influence. So I think there's maybe been more of a tendency lately among IRB members to sort of see the good reasons for payment and to see payment as a matter of fairness to participants as sort of a participant-centered issue and to be willing to approve more robust payment offers and plans. So hearing what we'd like to see in a perfect world, Luke, what do you think needs to happen to get us there? I think that there really needs to be kind of a changing of hearts and minds. I think we need to see this as a participant-centric issue, as an issue of fairness and justice. There's so many people, particularly people who are economically vulnerable, who are kept from participating in research simply because they, they can't afford it. They can't afford to take time off from work. They might struggle with even kind of more basic things like transportation, meals, and, and parking. And so I think seeing payment here as a way to kind of enable access for poor people, for historically underserved and underrepresented communities is really important. And, you know, I feel like as a research community, we've only just begun really to kind of grapple with these issues of inclusion and grapple with the fact that racial ethnic minorities have been underrepresented in research for so long. I feel like this can form kind of an important piece of that conversation and recognizing, you know, not just in word, it's nice to talk about it, but also in our actions, you know, thinking about how can we actually improve access for these groups. I think payment, robust reimbursement schemes, and robust compensation can be a part of that conversation and part of the solution. Wonderful. Luke, Libby, thank you so much for joining me today to discuss a topic that I know we're all really passionate about. And to our listeners, thank you for your time today. If you're interested in more information on the topic, Luke, Libby and I recently participated in a webinar with Endpoints News entitled Advancing Health Equity in Clinical Trials Through Addressing the Financial Burden. And you can find it on www.endpts.com under webinars. Thank you.